Let us come before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come as your children into this place today. We are family because of your love for us and the sacrifice you made for us. Then we can call you Father. And so we do. And Lord, we are mindful too today that many of your children are gathering or will gather in lands across the sea, in other countries as the sun rises. People of tribes and nations will gather to worship you, to sing your praises. Sometimes we think we're just, well, that it's just us. But we know, Lord, there are many thousands across the world who own your name. And they will glorify you today and sing. Perhaps that's a bit like what heaven will be like. But Father, we come with sometimes heavy hearts. Some of us have had good weeks, some not so good, for various reasons. But Lord, sometimes too we've let you down when we should have spoken up that we should have had just that word to say or that encouragement to someone else to show God's love and we didn't. Other times we've spoken too soon. We've retaliated. We've got angry. We've got impatient. These are not things that glorify you and we are sorry, Father. We are. We think too, Lord, of, of our church family who are not with us today, some who are not well or recovering from operations or hospital visits, some who are perhaps not, who've had difficulties through the week for one reason or another, some who have had sad times to go through and Lord, some who are physically unable to be with us today but would just love to be with us. And so we bring them before you and ask that you will just give them a special portion of your word to them today and bless them. Help them to know we're thinking of them. We think too, Father, of those in our community and across our land of, who've had dreadful things to deal with this week, whether it be fires or floods. We see on our television screen so much of dreadful things that are happening and sometimes we just feel so helpless to do anything but we can pray. Never, never, Lord, help us to always remember that we can pray. Even this morning when we put on our, the news, the deaths that occurred across in Israel overnight, people who have died in the floods in India, Right across our world, people are hurting. And so we pray for those who know you to be there as a comfort, to just care for, to do what is possible to do. Father, bless those who are on the front line and who are seeking to show your love and your care. We pray to you, Father, for our church here, for our pastors and those in leadership over us. 
We pray that they might know you day by day, that they may walk closely with you, that they will be guided by your wisdom as they make decisions on on our behalf or on behalf of the church and the wider community. Bless them, Father. And those who are so faithful, who work behind the scenes week after week and through the week, they may not be upfront people, but they are serving you in the place that you have appointed for them. And so we lift them up and ask that you will just be what they need at the time they need it, whether it's in playgroup, whether it's in the high school, whether it's out with the coffee cart, what coffee cart, whatever it is, Lord, bless them, strengthen them, give them opportunities to speak for you. We think too of our missionaries in other parts. Father, make us more mindful to pray. We can't do a lot else, but we can uphold our missionaries and our full-time workers in prayer. And sometimes with the rush and bustle of life, maybe that gets overlooked and we are sorry. So, Father, too, we pray for each one here this morning, today. Some involved in outreach ministries. Some who, like me, are an ordinary person, goes and does the shopping, whatever it is, Lord. But we need to be able to recognise opportunities for you, to speak for you in our daily routine, whatever it is. Whether it's sitting in, beside someone in the doctors, whether it's getting your hair done, whether it's the checkout chick in the supermarket. Lord, make us aware of those God opportunities where we can just say a word. This world just so needs to know you and your love. Help us to be diligent. Encourage us. Make us brave to speak for Jesus because we have no idea how long we will have to share your love. Make it urgent, Lord, to each one of us. And so, Father, go with us this week. Maybe we, may we be your children in the place you have placed us. May we be game enough to pray for opportunities to speak for you even just by our lives, may we influence someone this week to know Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can meet here as a church, as your family. Speak to us today. Give us open hearts and listening ears to what it is you would say to each one of us today. For we bring all these things in and through your precious, precious name. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Um, well, it is great to be here this morning. Thank you for being a part of it. If you're online, it is great to have you with us. And you are in for a little bit of a treat this morning because a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to uh, sit with Gus Ward, um, one of our 90-year-olds. Gus, I'm going to invite you forward. And we're going to have a chat with him this morning. And I sat with him and I, was, I asked one question, I think, and then we had just about an hour and a half of just a chat. And it was fantastic. And I heard story after story after story 
Um, I don't want this cake to come between Gus and I, so we might just sit and have, we could have a chat over cake, Gus. <laughs> All right, there you go. Now, I, I, first, I first met, well, I met Gus quite early in my time here. Um, I remember you sitting up the back there and, I, and I, I was able to meet you, but the time I got to know Gus probably best was through COVID. I don't know if you know this. Um, because Gus wrote, uh, we had this thing going for a little while there where um, some of our children would write to some seniors and seniors would write back. And you actually wrote to Tarquin, my son. I don't know if you remember that. And you shared uh, a lot of your story through Word. It's, it's on it already. You just got to like an ice cream. Like, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> In my uh, effort, to, can you hear me, folk? Yeah. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, the village where I live, uh, they've sent out a memo that there'd be fire drill, but they don't let us know when it's going to be. And it could have been this morning. And uh, <clears throat> uh, when that happens, the fire trucks come, they put the, their whistles on and they block both exits and you're locked into the village. And it all, it's always on a Sunday morning. And... <laughs> So uh, I always get up early, but this morning for my morning tea, I took the thermos and I sat for an hour at the Lilydale Lake in case I got locked in. <laughs> and uh, uh, I didn't know how I would contact you, Peter, and I thought this will be terrible if I get locked in and I can't come. I, I don't know if Ray and June Reynolds are here, if they're not, they might have got locked in this morning. <laughs> and, uh, they're in the same village as I, I am. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, well, well uh, Gus, it's, um, the, the, your story is a great story to hear. Um, and you've got many elements of your story that I'm hoping we'll be able to bring through today. And I've, I've organised a, cu a couple of questions. Um, but I was just saying that before we, we chatted... You'd written a letter to my son through COVID, oh, yes, um, yeah. and he'd written a couple of letters to you. So I got a, a bit of an insight into who you were prior to actually getting a good chat with you. Yes, I, I got a letter from Tarwin. Was that must have been two years yeah, ago? Was it probably three? Three I years now, yeah. ago. I, I don't know. And I thought this is a great lad, and I'll write back to him. And. Uh, I actually typed it out, Judy, my late wife, she was an office girl, but uh, he wouldn't be able to read my writing, so I got on the computer and I typed it out, and uh, yeah, that was a privilege to be able to write to the lad, yeah, yeah it was good. No, yeah. it was greatly appreciated. Well, one thing that, um, that I was taken by when I sat with Gus a couple of weeks ago uh, was... Uh, what Moses had, had sort of said to uh, the Israelites when he's gone up to the hill, he's got the, the commands, and he comes back, he shares them with them, and he says, he says this um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. 
and this is why, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And then he goes on and he talks about um, the hero, hero Israel. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. We know that really well. But then the next one is, in, these commandments I give you to you today are to be placed on your hearts. And then it says, impress them on your children. And as I sat with Gus a couple of weeks ago, I, I sat there gaining wisdom. I felt like I was gaining wisdom uh, and, and uh, an element of uh, uh, someone who's journeyed faith for the long haul. And I sat there going, I want to be like Gus. I want to I be able to share my stories in the future that will encourage generations below me to continue to grow in their faith. So that's what my hope is today, is that as we chat, that you'll gain a bit of not just Gus's wisdom, but God's wisdom through Gus, um, so that we will be encouraged in our generation to share with the generations below us as well. So, so Gus, before, before we get into some of those things, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your early faith journey. Good. Um, when, I, when I hear a speaker speak, then just raise your hand if I don't speak into the microphone. Um, I always like to know who he is and where he came from and just a little bit about him. So I will endeavour to share that with you. Uh, As um, uh, Peter has said, my name's Gus Ford. Uh, I now live in Lilydale Valley Views Retirement Village. Uh, My late wife Judy and I came there 15 years ago and uh, we uh, used to... uh, go to a church in, uh, down in Monturna. But then over the years, about five years ago, Judy started to, her memory started to go and she started to, uh, dementia started to set in. And uh, so we needed to move a bit closer to home. And uh, Peter, before you came, we came here once or twice and a chap named... Uh, was interim minister uh, here. Jeff Pugh? Jeff Pugh? That's right, yeah, Jeff. And I had known him uh, previously. And we came a couple of times and we came, I think, once after you came. And I remember Judy saying, and it must have been your wife who met her after, she said there was a lovely lady, she had black hair and her skin was dark and she came up and spoke to me this morning and she was just thrilled that uh, your wife had spoken to her. But as the dementia set in, uh, she couldn't uh, come and uh, I was able to nurse her at home and she was a very um, easy patient to look after and uh, was no trouble at all to help her uh, shower and dress her and, and feed her and all of that, until she couldn't, over three days, she just couldn't walk any longer. And uh, so we had to uh, get her into aged care at Lilydale. And that was a great answer to prayer too. And so I did come here, Peter, and I sat in the very back seat. And at 10 past 11, whether you'd finished or not, I headed off because I could wheel her up to the... the, um, 
dining room in the village and I could sit with her and feed her and then I could stay for the rest of the day with her. And uh, she was very, very easy to handle and we were very thankful uh, for that time. Um, So uh, (coughs) I was born into a Christian family of nine children. There were four older than I was in the middle. I was number five and there were four younger. (coughs) We had Bible reading in our home every night. Her father uh, read the Bible. Then we would all kneel and pray. Father and mother would pray first. Then together we would all repeat the Lord's Prayer. And that was then each of the children would pray or say a prayer that our mother had taught us. And so uh, Sunday afternoons was Sunday school. Uh, pres- was held in a Presbyterian church. The superintendent was a Baptist. It was free for all. Everyone went to Sunday school in those days. And uh, uh, the role was called right from the little ones up to the seniors. And when your name was called... You stood and without looking at your Bible, you gave a response with a verse of scripture. And so I learnt many verses at Sunday school. And also then we broke up and went to classes. Later on, uh, I uh, joined the Christian Endeavour Movement, the Christian, that we met Tuesday night and again once a month on consecration night, we stood to give a verse of scripture in response. And so we were taught the scriptures. It didn't mean we were Christians, but we were taught the scriptures right from day to school. I uh, went to a country school. There were eight grades, uh, two rooms, one to four in one room, five to eight in the other. You had to go to school till you were 14 or you gained a merit certificate and uh, uh, because it was a big family, uh, I started school at four and a half and I finished at 13 and then you would have had to go away to boarding school and our parents just didn't have uh, sufficient funds to send us. And so at 14, I started work on a farm and I worked for the next six years there. Just one One thing, Peter, uh, the day I started school, 85 years ago, I sat with a boy and he rode a little horse three mile through the bush, hail, rain and shine, and uh, he sat with me. And uh, he became a Christian and so did I. He was best man at my wedding and I was best man at his wedding and our ways parted for for many years, sometimes it was only a Christmas card, but he's still alive, he's in Coffs Harbour, and his wife, we call each other every Sunday afternoon, and uh, his wife's very ill at the moment. So I had a great mate. (coughs) And in uh, 1951, the Korean War was on, I thought it was going to be World War Three and uh, we were conscripted to go into the army. He went to the Air Force. I remember 
him writing to me, he was a builder by that time, a hundred mile away. We thought we'd go together and uh, that would help us. And we'd prop each other up. But an older ex-serviceman said to me, I don't think that'll be good. You won't stand on your own feet. And so <laughs> I think God had a hand in that because we weren't able to go together. He went to the Air Force, I went to the Army. And uh, um, in the last one church I was in, we had a couple of army guys there. And now they have a room to themselves. We were bundled in 24 into a big marquee and uh, beds were side by side. And uh, that made me make a stand to whether I was going to follow the Lord or not uh, with 24 others day and night. And then... um, that was great. I loved. The, I liked the army, the cleanliness, the discipline. Uh, everything was regimented. Uh, I enjoyed those days and made some great friends there. Um, after the army, I came out and one of my older brothers and I wanted to go farming. Uh, some had left home, some of them older boys. And uh, so we went share farming and... Uh, we uh, were successful in getting a contract of a share farm at a place called Kimboon. And uh, uh, he had been away in Geelong. That's how I met my first wife. And he had been encouraged by the minister. I don't know if some of the older folk remember him, uh, Reverend Reg Wright. And he, he encouraged them to get out and take services in little country churches around Geelong. And uh, 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 he, he was working at a factory in Geelong and work got tough and he gave up his place for another person. He, ca- he came home and he said to me, because I'd just come out of the army, what about if we go farming together? That's the only way you could start up. Our father wasn't well enough to set us up. And... Uh, so we applied and we got a share farm just near Timboon. And uh, we were bachelors. I was the cook. He, was, he could hardly boil water. He was pretty useless. But uh, he did quite a lot of local preaching in little country churches in Sunday afternoon because he'd had the training in Geelong. And there were a couple of people ran a little Methodist Sunday school there. And uh, I was called in to help on Sunday afternoon to teach Sunday school, a class of boys. And uh, um, earlier this year, here in this church, a lady followed me out and she said, uh, Gus, uh, I think I know you. And uh, we uh, had a conversation she was one of the little girls that went to that Sunday school. And Charmaine, you're here this morning. I don't want to embarrass you. But her father used to bring her in, in a, and mother used to bring her in. These two little girls, she and her sister, came to that Methodist Sunday school. Must be well over 60 years ago. And uh, just great to meet up with people down the track. You know, I'm probably waffling on a bit. Yeah, it's all good. In 1955, I married my 
a sweetheart from Geelong. We'd been courting for three years. She was a Christian lass. <coughs> and uh, um, because of, by then my brother had got married and I went to another share farm and then I was too far away to teach at the Sunday school. I still had to work by myself. My wife would try to get down to see me at least three times a year because seven days a week, twice a day, you just can't get away from a dairy farm. And so she would come down on the train on Friday night. I would meet her take her back to the train on the Sunday afternoon. And uh, anyway, we married. I'll try and hurry on a bit here. We had three children, two boys and, and a girl. <coughs> and uh, uh, my daughter later married and has been in America for... married an American. And uh, she's been there since 1989, however long that is. And uh, married a lovely Christian man over there. But let me get uh, go a little bit further, lest I sidetrack myself. Um, I w was one of the ones that helped arrange buses to the 1959 Billy Graham Crusade here in Melbourne. And uh, I think uh, that was after I was married. And... Uh, we arranged buses from the country to come. And uh, we'd also had some missions in our church and seen people come to the Lord. But what concerned me most was when the dust settled and two or three years were gone, not many of those converts were around. And that, that, that concerned me. I, I had a Christian home and, a, and was a great help. But I'm not saying it makes you a Christian. Many people in Christian homes don't follow the Lord. They go their own way. But <clears throat> this always concerned me. And then uh, what happened? My eldest son went to university. <laughs> and Peter, he, he was recruited by Fitzroy to play football, which is the Brisbane Lions. Wow. <laughs> Cop that one. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he still follows the Brisbane Lions. <laughs> but he came, he, came, he came to Melbourne and uh, I don't know if they're here this morning, but Graham Tucker's father and mother took him in and treated him like their own son. And uh, he was very blessed by, by the family of the Tuckers over at Sindor. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, he wrote back to me... Oh, Back off a little bit here. One of the boys I, I taught in Sunday school many that years ago, before I was married, he came to Melbourne. Uh, he did accountancy with the taxation department. Um, he went to Melbourne Bible Institute. He joined World Vision. He went to Cambodia when that was all the ruckus was there. Everywhere. Uh, there was trouble in the world, Lindsay seemed to go. And uh, uh, in Ethiopia, he lay in a gutter as they fired bullets over his head. He, he just was one of... Uh, he sold out for the Lord, he was. And he came home one time, or came back to the district, and I saw Lindsay, and he said, uh, Gus says, have a look at this literature. 
And I said, oh, yeah, thanks, Lint. And he gave me a little book, booklet, and it was called Born to Reproduce by Dawson Trotman. Any of you read that? Yes, uh, David. <clears throat> it was a great book. And I thought, this guy's got something together. He, he went on to say in that little book, 5% uh, conversion, 95% follow-up. And I thought, that's, that's what's missing. That's what's missing. And uh, uh, then my son wrote, wrote home. We didn't have mobile phones, of course. He wrote home and he said, Dad... I'm on Melbourne campus and he said, uh, I met some people called navigators. Are they any good? And he wrote home to get my advice. And uh, <coughs> uh, I went to my library and, and uh, I found this little book. I thought that guy had, he, he started an organisation, that fellow that talked about follow-up. And... Uh, <coughs> Uh, sure enough, it was Navigator. So I wrote back to my son and I said, go for it, go for it, mate. It, it looks good stuff. And uh, so he joined the Navigators at Melbourne University. And uh, he wrote home at the end of the first year and he said, Dad, if I come home and help with the harvest, would it be possible for you to get someone to cover in the dairy, there's going to be a conference in Canberra and uh, uh, I'd like you to come with me. And uh, so uh, anyway, that eventuated and again, uh, my daughter was growing up, she was very good on the farm, she took over the dairy and uh, Graham Tucker's dad, I don't know, uh, they were staying on our farm in a caravan at the time and he said, Gus, you go. You go, get away. And so on the Australia Day weekend at the end of January, I went to Canberra to this first conference in Australia of navigators. And uh, Were you there, David? No. And I'll never forget standing on the steps of the National University, some big auditorium, and seeing about a thousand young people coming along, girlfriend, boyfriend, couples, groups of girls, and what were they doing? They were all reciting scripture verses to each other. And I remember looking out, I was one of the oldies, I was 40 then, I think, and uh, we were in another group. And I thought, there's hope for Australia yet. And uh, then <coughs> um, we went home, and the next year there were too many for Canberra. Sydney had their conference. Melbourne had theirs at Monash University. And I, bought, I encouraged my wife to come with me, and she did, because by then I was farming sheep. I could get away. And uh, <coughs> uh, we came to Monash, and it was a great time. And uh, I was still concerned about discipling people. And uh, uh, my wife said to me uh, when we got home, it was only one weekend, and she said, uh, now, don't go out the back paddock. Uh, I've invited some people from Adelaide on their way home around the Ocean Road 
to call in for a cup of tea and they'll only be able to stop for half an hour. But so be close to home and when you see the car come into the into the farm, you come back and they're lovely people. And this man had been a Church of Christ minister in Sydney until the Billy Graham crusade. He'd been 15 years there. Then he got into Navigators and he had gone to Adelaide University to start up Navigator work in the Adelaide University. And uh, they were going home around the Ocean Road. And uh, I saw them come. I went in for morning tea. Uh, I questioned him. And he said, uh, look, he said, I don't think God wants you to give up the farm, but he, he wants you to get active, discipling people. And he went home and he wrote me a letter. That was 1978. I don't keep many letters, but I've got three or four. And I found it in my desk on Friday. It was 1978. And he wrote me a letter and he said, if you're serious about God, distance and time, he said, can you give one day a fortnight to being trained to disciple people? And uh, <clears throat> he said, there's a man in Melbourne, uh, an American man who's heading up navigators. I want you to write to him. You take the initiative. And if you're serious, it won't be too much effort. And uh, so I wrote to this chap. He said, I'll come down one Sunday, he and his wife, come down one Sunday and I'll see you. And uh, so he did. He came down in time to go to church and we took him home for lunch. And uh, <coughs> he said, I'm sick of Melbourne. I'd love to get out in the country. He said, uh, what about if I come and see you once a month, we have a Bible study and you come to Melbourne once a month? Well, Melbourne was a 340-mile round trip there and back in the day. <clears throat> and so we agreed. And for the next year, <clears throat> once a month, my wife and I journeyed to Melbourne. We had lunch with the people. We had a two-hour Bible study. And once a month, they came to us. And so that set me on discipling people. And that was... a. Yeah, I still ran the youth group for 17 consecutive years in the church. But really, it was discipling that I really loved doing. And uh, <coughs> discipling Christians and non-Christians in my own home. And uh, I would have them come. Not everyone became a Christian. I'm not suggesting that. Some just would do the studies and say no. Uh, I, I love the life I'm living. I don't want to do it. But at least we shared the gospel with them. <clears throat> yeah, Peter, I'll just share a couple of things I shared with you. Yeah. I was a shearer. Uh, the first farm we had was just a paddock. We had to, my wife and I, she loved the farm. She loved the animals. Uh, she was a city girl and uh, uh, we had to live in an old house with wallpaper walls and for five years and uh, all we had was enough money to build a dairy and start dairy farming. But the farm was very small and so I would 
get a lad to help her. Um, and uh, I would pack my traps and go up country shearing sheep. That, that was, uh, I won't go into detail there, but it's piecework. The harder you work, the more money you make, and that's what I was there for. And I would try and get home every weekend to give her some relief. And uh, once again, like the army, I was thrown in amongst uh, teams of non-believers. I love shearing. I love sheep. I love cattle. In fact, I loved all farming work. It was just so good. But for five years I did that, and then we were able to build our own house and uh, go from there. <coughs> but um, I used to shear away with shearing teams. Then I could come home and work from home and get home every night. I'd had my own run. Uh, I won't go into details. And uh, I was shearing for these people and a uh, young chap, he's a bit younger than I was, it was on one of the family farms and they used to bring the sheep all to one big shed to shear them. But then I heard that Ian, this chap, I'd also played football with him. He was younger than me. And uh, uh, I heard he had a bad back. Well, that's nothing. And uh, then I heard he was very sick. And uh, so he wasn't that far from home. And I, so I went to see him. He had a wife. Uh, I knew her by sight uh, and uh, had two little boys, uh, a bit younger than my boys, and uh, just neither of them would have been 30 years old. And uh, the man was, it turned out, he was riddled with cancer in his spine. And uh, so I went to see him and uh, uh, he wasn't a Christian. And I sympathised with him and uh, I saw that his lawn needed cutting around the country house. So I went back on the Wednesday and I took my own mower and I cut the lawn for him. And his wife invited me, June invited me in. I went to see Ian and he, he was just not good and he thanked me profusely. But then I tried to share, the, share Christ with him. And uh, I don't think I made a very good job of that. And uh, But then I said, Ian, is it okay if I pray with you? And so I uh, would pray with him. And uh, this went on for... Um, this was 19... Uh, way back in 1969, so it's a long while ago. It's 54 years ago that I prayed with this chap. And, and he went downhill and I used to, then I was back teaching then, after I was married, I went back to help uh, Mr. and Mrs. Nichols, who was superintendent at the Old Methodist Sunday School. I was free of a Sunday afternoon, so coming home I would go past this chap, Ian Bond was his name, and every Sunday afternoon I would call in and see how he was and go back on the Wednesday every week and cut his lawn. And he didn't last long, and I went to the funeral, uh, and uh, his father came over and thanked me profusely for being there to uh, just be beside him. Uh, well, the whole family 
farms, the three farms, they sold up the, after Ian died and his wife, I lost track of her. She went back to her family and then I heard she'd married again and uh, uh, I never, never saw her again and for 21 years. 21 years later, if I fast forward, <coughs> by then my own wife had terminal cancer and uh, for five years we came to St Vincent's in Melbourne. Uh, sometimes she would stay six weeks and they'd patch her up. She'd go, we'd go home to the farm. Uh, she'd come back to have radiotherapy and uh, they gave her six months to live. <coughs> and uh, uh, I'll never forget, uh, she was such a great ath athlete and uh, such a goer, she could do anything. She l just loved the farm. And sitting with that doctor uh, in St Vincent's, and uh, uh, she said, uh, Mr Fink, I've got cancer, haven't I? He said, yes. And uh, I, I panicked a bit at that time. And uh, previously she'd had breast cancer, but we'd forgotten about that. That was years back. She'd got... She played golf. It, we'd just forgotten about it. All the checkups proved negative. But this time she was getting bad backs and not well. And eventually it was all through her body. And I remember her sitting there and saying to this surgeon, how long have I got? I oh, said, uh, Val, that's not a fair question. We can't tell you. She said... You tell me how long I've got. I'm not scared to die. I've got a faith in Jesus. He said, six months, two years at the outside. And uh, the Lord was so good to us. She lived five and a half years. And some of the remission was very good. But eventually uh, it took her. And... Uh, Finally, she'd exhausted all the treatment that she could have. <clears throat> and they said, look, Warnable is 40 miles away. Saviour coming down here. We've got no more treatment, just pain control now until you go. And so uh, uh, they opened a palliative care ward in Warnable. All, all treatment at that time was either Ballarat or Melbourne. It's, in the, it's much more widespread now. And uh, so, uh, she, uh, 1990, she had about four trips to the Warrnambool Hospital at varying lengths of time, three weeks, four weeks, sometimes six weeks, home again. And, uh, but that was quite good because I could go in every evening and sit with her. When she was hospital, then they'd patch her up, she'd come home. Anyway, I went in one night, sometime during 1990, and uh, she said, Gus, guess who nursed me today? Oh, I said, no, go on. She said, do you remember Ian Bond? Oh, yeah, he died 21 years ago. Uh, yeah, well, his wife must have married again, and she's moved away. She's had another family, and her daughter... Uh, was nursing me today. I said, fancy that, goodness gracious me. Yeah. Well, she said she's a lovely little girl and they're living in Warrnambool. I don't know the 
new name. And uh, that was okay. I went in a couple of nights later and uh, uh, I knew all the nurses because I'd been, we'd been there so often. And uh, it's quite a big hospital, Warrnambool. And uh, <coughs> there was a lady in the passageway as I went down to my Val's ward and uh, she had a great bunch of flowers and she was looking this way and looking that way and uh, I said, excuse me, can I help you? You're looking for someone? And she looked at me and she said, you're Gus, Gus, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. She said, don't you remember me? I'm June Bond. I'll never forget what you did to my husband years ago, 21 years ago. I'd forgotten all about it because you move on. And uh, uh, I said, uh, she said, I've come to see Val. And she had this beautiful, expensive bunch of flowers. And uh, she came into the room and uh, she said, Gus, don't bother going home 40 miles. I had to drive 40 miles in and 40 miles back. She said, come and stay at our place. Or if you're here and you get tired and you want to lie down in the middle of the day, just come down to our place. But uh, because I had still had things to do on the farm, I never took her up. That was the last time I saw her. That was 1990. That's, what's that? And uh, then I look at the Warrnambool Standard online every morning because uh, I see any death notices that maybe people I need to send a card to because it covers the whole of the Western District. And uh, two years ago, uh, uh, I saw, because it said her maiden name, I saw that June had passed away. And uh, uh, then this year, about March, I got a text from my son, uh, Glenn. He lives in Camberwell. He's, he, Ward. he, there were a lot of us, and his cousin Malcolm Ward uh, was share was de- was had a farm over near Warrnambool. That's forty miles from where we used to live, and uh, Malcolm. Uh, was surfing one day with his younger brother. He got hit by a surfboard and he nearly drowned. They found him with his head under the water. And uh, it was touch and go. He was They pumped the seawater out of him in the Warrnambool Hospital and uh, he felt he survived and he felt that God had spared him and he was a local preacher and a very good singer and he trained and went in and he's been um, Baptist minister for the last 15 years at the Naringal Baptist Church and had a very successful ministry. Well, he and my son, if I'm not complicating this too much, they were great bosom pals as boys, but their journey has taken them far apart. And, and in somewhere around March or April this year, Uh, a minister in Warrnambool from one of the charismatic churches uh, got in touch with Malcolm. His church is about 20 kilometres outside Warrnambool, country church. And uh, he sent this message 
came from this charismatic minister. And I'll read a little bit of it to you. The minister writing to Malcolm says this. Hi, Malcolm. I'm reading the story of June, the deceased wife of a man in our congregation. Her first husband died in 1969. And I'm thinking, you might know the Gus Gus Ward Baptist from the Timboon area who visited him every day when he was dying and prayed with him. A long memory, and he goes on to say some complimentary things there. And obviously this lady, June, had come to the Lord and married so many years after, and this was the message from that church. Yeah. Wow. Gus, that's... Um I think that's an expansion of the story that you told me because I don't remember that little part. And I'm like, whoa, God, God. Like, I, I know that um, as we talk, that's that's the exact thing that I don't know what you've said. So I, don't, I wasn't even worried about you guys. I was just in my own little space here, sorry. Um, but to hear what God's done over so many years yeah. of your faithfulness at the beginning yeah. to hear that story is just where we see God at work over a long, long period and how he's moved in you and changed you and transformed you to be a disciple, discipler, a person who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And that's just a testament to it. So that's amazing, Gus. Yeah. yeah. One, one other thing I, I'd like, like to share with you. <clears throat> uh, as I said, my wife, Val, am I speaking into that okay? Yeah. Good, thank you. <clears throat> Uh, one night near the finish, um, uh, the second last time she was in the hospital before she, she came home. And uh, I went in this night, uh, this afternoon, late afternoon to see her and be with her through the evening. And she said, um, a strange thing happened to me last night. In the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning, she said there was a presence in my room. She, by that time, she could hardly turn over in bed. And she said there was something woke me up at three o'clock in the morning. And she said, there's someone in my room. Who is it? And there was silence. And she said, there's someone in my room or something in my room. Please speak. And then and, uh, some, one of the staff, a sister said, yes, it's, it's me. And my wife said, what are you doing? You're doing something. And uh, what she was doing, she was taking, uh, you've heard of Reiki, it's one of those Eastern mysticisms where they believe they can heal by moving the hands up and down not touching the body. It's all tied up in the occult, just like yoga and tai chi and all palmistry and all that. Other, it's from the it's from the depths of Satan. And uh, she said, "Well, thank you so much. I know you're trying to help me, but I've I'm not I'm not afraid to die." 
and I have Jesus as my saviour. Please don't do it again. And uh, oh, and so that was, she, went, we, she came home for two or three weeks. Then the palliative care called me one day and said, how's your wife going? And I said, not so good. I woke up at three o'clock and her breathing wasn't normal. It was a whistle. Oh, she said, oh, the cancer's gone to the lungs now. Uh, I'll send an ambulance out to pick her up. Don't bring her in by the car, 40 mile. And so that's what happened. That same day the ambulance came and she left for the last time. <clears throat> when she got in and, and they've done all the paperwork and she was back in her room and uh, uh, she was so, so weak after the trip in. And uh, I, I remember when all that was done and we were alone in the room, <laughs> I looked down and her beautiful athletic body that she'd given to me 35 years before was just just skin and bone. And she was there just so weak. And she looked up at me and she said, Gus, I, I, I'm frightened. Oh, I said, darling, you've got a faith in God. You're not, oh, she said, be quiet. When you've been married a long time, you, you don't have to speak. And she said, it's not that. I'm frightened those people will come in and try their black magic on me and I'm so weak, I won't be able to resist them. Oh, I took her hand. <laughs> Friends, I don't boast about this. I took her hand and I said, let's pray. And so I, I took her hand and I said, Almighty God, just, just like the children of Israel were safe under the blood of the Lamb, I claim the blood of Jesus Christ over this room. Lord, I forbid those powers of darkness to come near my wife. And she died in that room and they never came near her. Oh, friends, I want to tell you, the angel of the Lord encamps about those that fear him. We shall not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day when we are safe under the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's so much confidence and the presence of the Lord is so meaningful in times like this when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. I've got one more. Can I go one more story? Quick one. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Our daughter had been married, was married, one year before her mother died. Went to America. We took her to, I took my wife in a wheelchair, took her to Tullamarine, and we said, now when mum dies, you are not to come home. Her husband still had university to do. And I said, don't let them, anyone make you feel guilty not coming home. You can't afford it and uh, you say goodbye to your mother now. <clears throat> and which, which they did. And I said, just call your mum every Sunday and that'll be good. And so um, that, was, that was how it was. 
Anyway, the wedding dress, uh, you ladies will appreciate this, was made by a lady uh, um, who was an outstanding dressmaker. She played golf, or they used to meet at golf with my wife. But there was another lady, a Catholic lady I never ever met, who used to come and do some fine stitching or embroidery or something to do with a wedding dress. And uh, my wife had met her, but I never had. She came from Camperdown, uh, quite a long way from home. And uh, uh, <coughs> she had been widowed twice. And uh, just right the last week, I think, that Val was alive, <coughs> people were coming, some of our sisters and brothers and brothers and sisters-in-law were coming just to say goodbye to Val and in that Warnwall Hospital. And uh, um, I got a call one evening before I went in. Uh, Gus, would you bring those papers from navigators that you use when you're dealing with non-Christians? Bring them in. And I'll tell you. I said, why? And she said, I'll tell you when you get here. And uh, so I got them and I took them in. She said, uh, um, that lady, she Catholic lady, came down to see me today to say goodbye. I haven't seen her since she made help with the wedding dress a year ago. And she said, she bent down. My wife couldn't sit up. She bent down, put her arms around her and said, goodbye, Val. She said, if only I had your faith. And, and she looked up at her and said, it's not my faith, you can have it. Would you come back tomorrow? And uh, she said, yes, I would. And so she came back the next day and uh, sitting beside the bed, she filled in one of these, who is Jesus Christ, the ABC of becoming a Christian. <coughs> she came back the... Uh, the next day, 35-mile trip, and they filled in the second sheet. And she came back the third day, um, salvation in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and I remember my wife saying to me, <clears throat> I looked at the space, have you received Jesus as your saviour? And she said it was blank. Oh, she said... Us, she said, my heart fell. She hadn't filled it in. And then she said, Margaret, you couldn't fill in that part. She said, oh, yes. She said, but I wanted to be with you when I filled it in. She became a Christian. And my wife said to me, Gus, I'll be gone soon. You make sure you get some lady who's capable of discipling that lady, Margaret Maguire. And I had just the lady, a retired... She was actually the wife of the superintendent of that Methodist Sunday school from 60 years back. And she and this lady met every fortnight and they became great friends. She went a... Uh, 
she left the district and went up somewhere around Rochester or somewhere up on the Murray. They stayed friends and uh, they're all gone to be with Jesus now. So, Peter, I think I've waffled on long enough. <laughs> it's, it's been <laughs> thank wonderful, Thank you for Gus. listening, folk. <laughs> well, thank you, Gus. And um, I, I don't need to add anything to any of that. Um, we, what I take from your story, Gus, is that relationships that I have right now, even if I don't, or that I've had in the past, even if I don't know where they're going or how they've gone, friends that I've had in the past that um, maybe brought me to Christ, that I haven't got connection with at the moment, there is always God's doing something with those relationships. And if we've got faith in the long journey, they'll come back. There'll be a, there'll be a time where we get to engage or get to find out a little bit more about what's going on in God's realm. So thanks, Gus, for sharing with us. Thank you, Peter. Peter, there's just one quick one. <laughs> just one quick one. <laughs> My, I, I, I was single for six years, and in that time I'd been to Russia and around the world a few times. Uh, then I married Judy. She'd been a widow for 11 years, and Judy was a Melbourne girl, and uh, she'd been widowed in her forties. Uh, she had three adult children, like I did. And uh, I- anyway, she came to hear me talk about Russia one night. And that's where I met. I had met her before through my family. Uh, but, uh, Judy just seemed to know everyone in Christian circles. She just one one time. Uh, In the country, there was a guy who used to come with open-air campaigners. (laughs) Uh, I'd been married to Judy for six months, and I said, oh, this Robert Adams, he used to come around. Oh, he was good. You wouldn't know him. He comes from away up at Kerrang, up the north. Oh, yes, she said, uh, he's my first cousin. (laughs) I I said, you're kidding. (laughs) She said, no, she said. And I'd never been to Belgrave Heights. It was always a busy time on the farm, Easter and Christmas. Uh, Christmas you were harvesting. Uh, you only stopped for Christmas Day. Autumn, in, when Easter, you were clearing land and sowing it down. And uh, uh, so I'd never been. But after Judy and I left the farm, we lived in Geelong for six years and we went to Belgrave Heights. No, it was after we came to Lillida. We went to Belgrave Heights. And after the meeting, <laughs> this is exactly how it happened. Oh, she said, there's my cousin and his wife, Barry McCaw. <laughs> she said, come over and I'll introduce him to him. <laughs> and so I went over and met Barry for the first time. <laughs> and this is in the last 15 years. And he said, where are you? And... Uh, we said, we're at Lilydale Valley Views. Oh, I said, it's a, it's a godless place. We're the only Christians there. And I, gosh, you could do with a touch. And I was raving on about this. And Barry looked straight at me and he said, that's your mission field. <laughs> that set me back. But we were able to begin a work there. And, and, uh, and now you have 
it's still uh, going on. Yeah, that's right. And you have people uh, gathering so, uh, quite a lot now, in monthly gatherings of, of people coming together uh, as Christian people in the, in the village, do you? I'm sorry, Peter. In my effort to get to the lake this morning, I left my hearing aids home. <laughs> No worries, Barry. Um, Gus, uh, th- thank you so much for sharing yes, with you. us. Um, may I pray for you and and uh, the the continuing ministry that you have? Oh, God, we thank you so much for the story, uh, stories that can encourage us. Uh, thank you for Gus's story of faith over a, a, a long journey, a faith that's seen him uh, share his faith and disciple others that have grown and to know you and have come to know you through his story. And we pray that we, we may today uh, all be encouraged to take a step of faith, um, regardless of our age, uh, that we may encourage others to become disciples of you as well. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Gus. Well done.